Colorado Governor Jared Polis is an entrepreneur, education leader, and public servant. By the time he had turned 30, he'd launched three successful companies, including ProFlowers, one of the world's leading online flower retailers. He was elected to Congress in 2008 and was a member of the Bipartisan Problem Solvers Caucus before being elected governor in 2018. Today, he discusses Colorado's efforts to curb COVID-19 and how his state's two biggest industries, tourism and energy, have been impacted. Let's listen in. Hi, everybody. This is Jared Polis from Colorado. Just wanted to uh, thank all of you for uh, all of your discussions. I got to catch the last few minutes, which was which was uh, very helpful as well. Um, I really uh, did enjoy and want to praise uh, the work of No Labels uh, in, in, in Washington. Uh, really, some of my most fulfilling moments um, as a member of Congress were working in the Problem Solvers, the sister group with uh, uh, Josh, Lund, uh, Josh uh, Gottheimer and so many others. Uh, we actually, you know, felt that we solved a lot of the issues if only Republicans and Democrats would have listened to us. Uh, we had a bipartisan immigration proposal that would have worked, doesn't, you know, not solved everything, but worked. Healthcare, shoring up the exchange, some common sense improvements, Affordable Care Act would have worked. Um, sadly, none of that was to be, but it was really the most, my, among my most fulfilling moments because it was actually putting pen to paper, working with uh, even other Coloradans like Mike Kaufman, um, he and I were very active in the immigration group. Uh, he's now the mayor of Aurora, for those of you that are not um, Coloradans. Uh, getting to this um, this crisis at, at, at hand, um, it's it's really an all hands on deck uh, challenging uh, situation. I, I think like most states, uh, the way that states are set up is we have emergency command centers, emergency operation centers, those are typically stood up. In our case, we have fires and floods. Those are the two kinds of common ones that, that we've had in the past that have lived for a period of time. And then we add in the health piece, which is our Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment. Uh, we have a state epidemiologist. Uh, we have a state chief medical officer uh, that are very active from the health side. Uh, and then we pulled in an innovation response team. So I pulled in uh, in the early days, probably three weeks ago, folks that are generally private sector and uh, come from startup and rapid scaling backgrounds to be on our team that's scaling the testing, the personal protection equipment, the data piece, there's volunteers that have been software executives that just were able to drop what they were doing and are working on the data side um, full-time, helping the state out on data and reporting uh, so that we can make more informed decisions on a day-to-day -day basis. I think like, where, where most states are now and what we're trying to figure out is, okay, we've, uh, you know, leveled this, this, this astronomical curve um, in that we're not going to have at this point tens of thousands of Coloradans dying. Uh, we're at, we, we passed 300 fatalities, by the way, today. Um, tragic. But, but that's not, you know, we're, we're, we, we've leveled that out and, and, and that should start to decline slightly the daily figures in the coming weeks or two. How, but it's only been done through these awful measures that are devastating to and not sustainable. You know, they're, they're, you, people can't stay at home for more than a few weeks. Businesses can't, uh, you know, remain in, in pause for more than a few weeks. So how do you go back? And uh, we, we're, our goal in Colorado is April 26th is the final day of our stay at home order. Summer May 1st, summer later. But how do we get back knowing that 
getting back doesn't mean everything is exactly as it was in January and February. Clearly, for some businesses, there's a very long tail. Venues, sporting events, concerts, large weddings. Uh, these are things that we don't know in the current in the current, with the presence of the virus and, and what we know now, it's hard to see how those things can really get back in a meaningful way uh, and large gatherings, even bars and nightclubs, right? Um, it'll be longer. But in terms of everyday businesses, people going to work, uh, you know, obviously mass testing, isolation of cases, quarantine uh, of, of, of particular cases, perhaps at times, particular communities or facilities, rather than in a non-sustainable and devastating quarantining of the entire you know, economy and an entire society, which is the extreme step that uh, countries across the world are essentially taking now. So um, those are some initial thoughts, but I'd, I'd love to hear kind of what's on your minds, your suggestions about how to um, have as robust an economic recovery as possible. Uh, and, you know, Colorado is the tip of the spear for two important industries that are disproportionately impacted uh, by COVID-19, and that's tourism and recreation and the energy industry. So these are two industries that will have a longer tail than most. Luckily, we're a diversified economy. We have a lot of other things going on, but those are two very important industries that uh, I think will have a longer tail on the recovery uh, than, than manufacturing and some of the other industries, which I think will be a little bit quicker. I have a question, Governor. And by the way, I'm a part-time resident of your state. We have a home in Snowmass Village. People are talking about rolling out the recovery on a regional basis. Uh, locations that have, have recovered have hospital capacity and things like that. But it's hard for me to imagine how you could not do this on a national basis, because if you do it regionally, then people start traveling and they're going to bring the, the problem back from other places that do have the problem. And I, I can't imagine that you're gonna say, okay, Northern, California, Northern Colorado can now go back to work, but those people can't go to New York. Um, so have you thought about how you control a regional rollout like that? I just saw there was a step today taken, I think it was in Oregon, Washington and California uh, that just announced more of a regional plan around getting back. Um, a national plan would be great because, as you know, states don't, we don't have the ability to control our borders. Interstate commerce, commerce is under the domain of the federal government, appropriately so. <clears throat> so we border a lot of states in Colorado. Um, it, it's hard to see how they can get all on the same page. Uh, but we worry about a scenario where, you know, one state, yeah, they say we have a very low rate and we're free of it. All of a sudden, a bunch of people would likely go there trying to escape and they bring the virus with them. So. It's the opposite of the intended effect. It's one of the reasons that our, our orders had to be statewide, for instance, around closing bars and restaurants. There were a few small communities that said, you know what, we don't have COVID. Uh, why do we have to close? The answer was, if you don't, folks from the Denver metro area are going to be clogging up your bars and restaurants, and you're going to have it in spades very soon. So we, we do, you know, it's the same similar issue within a state that we have between states and across the states. And I would certainly advocate for the greatest degree of coordination possible. Yes, Governor, thank you for being here today. Uh, you in part answered my question, I guess, talking about the regional versus the national program. But I'm wondering if there's specific markers that you're looking for in Colorado that will tell you that it's time to start, uh, in, by whatever the method is of opening up the state, to actually begin opening the state. What, what uh, 
parameters are you looking for as key indicators? We want to be in a place where we're confident that we're not going to be overwhelming the healthcare system. We um, we are not currently. We we have good vacancy rates in our hospitals because of the measures we took when we took them. Uh, while and while we've had over over 300 deaths, uh, we're we're very glad that we're not you know on the top tier hotspot like New York City was. Nor nor do we want to be. There'll be a longer disruption for commerce, as well as loss of life in areas that have a higher incidence. Um, at the same time, and we are adding extra capacity to our hospitals now. So the capacity will be higher. Uh, and then it's about what kinds of social distancing we can build into a productive economy as opposed to a mass quarantine. So as we go back, as people are going back, how are we making sure that companies that can are still doing telecommuting? Companies that can are doing two shifts instead of one shift, half the people per shift. These, are, these make a real big difference in the spread of the virus, uh, that kind of decision-making uh, without hurting productivity and people's ability to be able to earn a living and support themselves. Hi, Governor. First of all, I wanna say just thank you. Your leadership has been courageous. It's been um, calming, it's been strong, it's been thorough, and we just really appreciate um, your leadership. And last week we had Governor Romer's son, Paul Romer, on here, and he was talking at great length about um, testing and how how important testing was um, to being able to reopen and re-engage in the world of work. Um, so my question to you is, um, how are we doing testing-wise? And what do you see as our ability to test to assure people interacting again with our businesses that they're safe to do so? So testing is very different in a mass quarantine world, which we're in now, and a open world where people are returning to work and normal economic activity. Um, in today's world right now, because we have a mass quarantine, we don't want people who are uh, have symptoms to go out and get tested for the heck of it because nine out of 10 of them recover at home and it, whether they had the flu or the cold or COVID-19, there's no different clinical treatment. You recover at home unless you need medical care. So the tests are prioritized in the medical setting, healthcare workers, <clears throat> uh, those who need clinical intervention uh, to remain alive. As you get to um, a larger scale reopening, it's going to look a lot more like what we're doing now. We're kind of going through a, uh, not, not, doing now generally, doing now specifically at JBS Meatpacking Facility in Weld County. This made the national news because it's important to the national food security. This is a, one of the larger meat, meat processing facilities in the country. 3,000 employees. Um, on top of that, you have cultural difficulties because they come from, they have 27 different spoken languages. Many of them are refugees, immigrants, so very complicated. Uh, we are, they're temporarily closed uh, and we are doing mass testing and releasing employees that are uh, free of the virus to be able to go back to work for the reopening in could be 10 to 14 days. That's the kind of targeted quarantine and testing that will need to be done uh, wherever there is an outbreak in the future to try to prevent it from becoming a community-wide issue and catching it uh, at a particular site or source or uh, company. So uh, we're going through the, the real runs of that now with JBS, and there probably will be others that are in that critical side. Remember that the workforce is still going to work, still working, hopefully having some social distancing, but there nevertheless, there will be outbreaks. So we're doing our 
they're real runs, but they're practice runs for what will need to be done at a larger scale with the mass testing and targeted quarantine and isolation, which will be in effect after the overall stay-at-home piece rolls off. And do we have those? Do we do we have enough tests to be able to do that and enough people to be able to administer them? Never enough. Uh, industrial production is rapidly scaling up what we've uh, Purchasing and acquisition is a whole different ballpark uh, in this world. So we, my instructions are, we'll talk about personal protection, protection equipment, and then we'll get to answer your question with regard to tests. Uh, we are issuing purchase orders for many times the amount of PPE that we need because most of our purchase orders uh, are uh, with somewhat um, doubtful individuals and companies and don't wind up being fulfilled. Uh, strange stories, people trying to sell stuff they don't have that they hope to get. Um, we're navigating it, we're getting it, but the point being that uh, we're not nearly getting, uh, we're only getting, you know, one-tenth of a mask for every mask we buy. Uh, we're, we're, we're figuring it out. We have a good team. We have good global connections. We're, we're getting what we need. Testing, testing, testing is a little less sketchy a world. Uh, there's a lot of sketchy operators out there, to be clear. But we're dealing with major global players. So we, we have 100,000 tests we've ordered uh, from a major player in South Korea after we validated a couple hundred tests at our state lab. Uh, so we are getting there. But keep in mind that Colorado is trying to buy testing and personal protection equipment at the same time not just as all other 49 states, but also as almost every country in the world. So uh, that is the, the enormous demand and the delay in the supply kicking in and the industrial capacity in the private sector kicking up is what's causing these short-term uh, challenges in the supply chain, both around testing and around protection equipment. We're very proud of you, thank you. I would just one more thing on Barb. So we we you know we've ordered a hundred thousand from that from what we have fifty thousand here, twenty thousand there. If that doesn't arrive and we don't have it in time, we can't open as scheduled. I mean, it, we we cannot open without having the adequate scale of the testing in place. And I'm I have a lot more confidence on the uh, masks and the personal protection equipment. There's a lot of irons in the fire. I think we're doing a little better there. But the tests, you know, we have we can't count them until they're on the ground and in Colorado and validated. And I know I know other other governors feel the same way. Earlier today, a new issue was added to your already heaping plate, uh, and that is that uh, President Trump announced that, in his view, he has the ultimate authority to reopen the nation's economy even if the governors in many states disagree with his timetable. Uh, and he further asserted that governors' opinions were only advisory to his ultimate authority. Uh, have you formed a view on this constitutional question? And if so, what is it? Uh, Bill, uh, you know, I, I wish, whether it was a Republican or Democrat, I wish we had a serious, thoughtful, reflective, you know, president. Um, as, as most of our prior presidents have been. I don't know any more than you what he's talking about. Um, you know, I don't know the constitutional authority. I don't know what it means because obviously states have been implementing these different measures and they're slightly different in all 50 states and states have different time scales. So I just, I don't know what he's talking about and I, you know, I wouldn't be the one to explain it. It, it hasn't manifested itself in terms of any official word from the vice president or the White House or, um, uh, official guidance. Uh, it's simply a tweet. 
you know, the person who tweeted it happens to be the, the president of the United States, but uh, like other tweets, I, I just don't don't know what I just you know. I think I'll just ignore it for now. <laughs> well, if you'll accept some unsolicited advice, advice, uh, I think it would probably be a good idea for your state's attorney general uh, and whatever legal team you have around you to begin thinking this through, because. All the signs are that the president will make his decision on this question within just a, just a few days, uh, and it will then be. You know, the president's decision is extremely important. It's it's not really a, um, uh, you know, uh, maybe you're maybe you're an attorney, Bill. I don't I don't know you, but it, it's it's you're not okay. It's not really something that will be determined in in the court of of law. You you have thirty to forty percent of the country that will follow the president um, and what he says. So we cannot affect staying at home without the blessing of the president, no matter what the legal parameters say, because 30 to 40% of the population, if he says, go out and go to work, are gonna go out and go to work. And, and this has never been an enforcement thing. We've charged nobody with violating it. There's no criminal penalties. You know, There's been a few arrests, but they're not gonna be charged. You know, People have willfully, flagrantly, you know, but no one is gonna go to jail over this it was never about that. It's all about, you know, doing the right thing, encouraging people to stay at home. That's, that's all we ever had is that moral authority. I've always, I speak in broad bipartisan terms. We invoke the president of the United States goal of May 1st. Uh, we, we invoke the moral authority of the president as well as ours. I, I just said, it's, it's not legal. It's, it's about the moral authority of the president. And we, we, we de facto will, will not have the ability to encourage people to stay at home because uh, a, a big part of the population will will follow uh, that directive. It, it's it, it's real social. It's not it's social political. It's not legal and constitutional. Good. Let me ask you a question, if I may, myself, and then I'll hand it over to Glenn. Um, you know, having heard that, when you go home and you talk to your partner, it's the end of the day, and 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 you look at him and you go, I wish that I could get this from the federal government. I wish you could get this from our leadership. How, how do you how do you, how do you um, answer that question to yourself? Well, I what what I what I told the vice president and and our senators what would help the most is exactly what if anything the federal do government will supply us with and do for us and when they will do it right like is there going to be testing doctor. You know, Fauci says the other day there'll be a lot of serological testing available soon. Does that mean as a state I should be issuing the POs and buying it? Or does it mean the federal government is scaling up production and will send us these are the, the blood tests, also very useful? A lot of use cases for those. We don't need to get into that. But where will we get them? Uh, on 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 mass. Um, I'd certainly rather have too many than too few, but what if any will be supplied by the federal government? What do we need to handle ourselves? Ventilators to a lesser extent. Um, I really don't have any answers. I, every every conversation I try to get to, can I have numbers and dates and we'll build it into our plan? Even if it's zero, tell us. Because if it's, if it's zero, you know, we're buying what we're buying anyway. Just tell us. Uh, but if you if it shows up in a week and you didn't tell us it was zero and you surprised us, then we have too much of something and somebody else doesn't have enough of something. So um, that would be my, my number one thing I would ask of the federal government is tell us what you're doing and when, uh, and what you're gonna be able to provide and when, testing, personal protection equipment, ventilators, any transparency into that would help governors immensely in terms of our ability to plan. 
Thank you. That was very thoughtful. Um, Glenn, Glenn Lowenstein. Thank you. Um, Governor, my question is actually in the same vein and uh, understanding the importance of substance, but also the importance of symbolism for millions of Americans. What I'm wondering is, is it worthwhile to think of on a federal level, a when, when it comes to working and getting back to work, I think there's so much confusion. Would it help if there was a bipartisan statement from the top leadership uh, at the federal level, legislative and executive, Republican, Democrat, as to what the federal government would like jointly? And is that a pipe dream or would it have a potential for happening? No, it would be great, both for the, the reasons that somebody expressed about uniformity across different states and people spreading it between states, as well as for having the maximum political and moral authority. Uh, that would be wonderful, right, for uh, Nancy Pelosi, Mitch McConnell, the president, to have some uh, guidance around how they uh, around around how they see this playing out, so, and 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 there should be broad areas they could agree on. I mean, there's not, it's not, and they're not gonna, and no one would expect that it would cover the areas they disagree on. Um, it's simply what can speak with the full moral authority of the federal government that can help provide more uniformity across different states and have have this done in a more orderly way. Because otherwise, again, we suffer from this problem where. Even if 46 governors are doing it well and three aren't, you have large contagion spikes in those areas and it spreads to the other states and it creates okay. its own problem and worsens it in the other states that were doing the right thing. So very frustrating place to be. Um, I would welcome the federal role in helping to clarify that we're going to do the right thing in Colorado. We're focused on the data. We're doing it. I think Every governor in their in their own mind is doing that. Some will be right and some will be wrong. But I mean, we're, we're everybody's trying. I don't I don't doubt that. But um, there's just a lot of folks doing different things and operating with imperfect data in some cases and in some states that have less testing in Colorado. Uh, they might not have as much guidance. So I, I would welcome that. And you know whether it's a pipe dream or not is more in your as much in your domain I, i've been a little bit tuned out of the federal side i've just been focused on the state and and our conversations with you know the vice president and others and the cdc director uh but it would be welcome it certainly would be welcomed thank you if you were still in problem solvers what would you be doing in that regard uh i think it could start with problem solvers i i think there's a couple of roles problem solvers has right now um and I, by the way i'm glad i'm I'm glad I'm not. I'm not glad I'm not in. I'm glad I'm not in Congress right now. <laughs> but but it's it, it's gotten really tough. But they should, of course, work on kind of this phase four or phase five recovery piece. What else needs to be in it from a bipartisan perspective uh, to help make sure that we can have a robust recovery? Absolutely. Uh, but secondly, of course, something that's thoughtful and bipartisan around reopening could start with a group like that. And, and that would be an encouraging area for them to work. If I was in it now, I would be honored to, to work on that. Um, that would be, you know, I, I don't know how many numbers you're up to, what, you know, 30 Democrats, 30 Republicans, whatever it is, 40, 40, uh, I hope you're higher, I don't even know. But however many it comes from, that would be a good thing, I, I think, and, and both good for problem solvers, good for no labels, but also useful for the country. Uh, we, would, we would look at something like that. Thank you. Hi, Governor. Um, I just want to echo what Barb said. Just thank you so much for your leadership. Um, the way that you're using science and data to guide your decision making 
think is is very, uh, it builds a lot of trust in our community. So I wanna thank you for that. Um, and just building on Barb's question about testing, what about the antibody testing? Yeah. It seems to me if we could get that going at scale, there's a number of folks who have had this um, disease and don't even know it. And they could be out in our communities volunteering, um, being even at hospitals volunteering. So can you give us any insight on that? Let me see if I can get you to see this. Maybe not. Um, okay. Yes. Well this done. is very helpful. I have it on my, my cell phone. It shows when the different tests uh, kick in. So you can see this first line, the first line, the short-term impact is from the nasal swab test. That's the RT-PCH uh, test. Then there's two different antibody tests, the long-term and the, short, the, the short-term antibodies. The long-term is generally the one with the longer tail for many months. The short-term antibodies is also useful in initial diagnosis. I'm sorry if it's blurring off. Uh, you can see that I'll just leave that up for a moment there. So the answer is yes, yes, yes. There's testing cases for every single kind of test, uh, particularly the short-term antibodies, the nasal swab test, the longer-term antibodies, the big question scientifically is what degree of, of immunity they confer. Uh, there's generally strong consensus that they confer added uh, immunity. At the same time, there are a number of incidences of reinfection of people that successfully overcame the virus and got reinfected. So, well, in our models, we don't know whether that's, you know, 50% increased resistance or 90% increased resistance or 98% increased resistance. You know, this is not too strange a concept. Keep in mind, for those of you who get the flu shot, even the measles shot, uh, the measles shot is only like 90% or so effective at preventing measles. That's why everybody needs to get it, because if there's an outbreak, some people who have the measles shot will still get it. But if enough people have the measles shot, it prevents an outbreak. Flu shot, too. What, what is that? I know 60, 70 percent effective, whatever it is, preventing the flu. So just like this, think of it like a vaccine. Having COVID-19, we really need the science on what that immunity level is. Um, it is an immunity level. That's a good thing. That's important in developing herd immunity. And then it might be important, Sue, and I think what you're getting at is can people who've had it, let's say you go through healthcare workers and 20% have had it, shouldn't they be the ones that work on the COVID ward versus the non-COVID ward, the people that haven't? It should never be an excuse not to take every precaution for our healthcare workers and others, including masks and gloves, because I don't think anybody thinks it's 100% immunity. It is some stronger immunity. We need to find out what that is. And yes, in a Tact, a, a tactical way that can be a useful figure, but never as a substitute for other protection measures. Governor, first, thank you for your work with no labels and thank you for your, your efforts as governor and also for joining us today. I wanna to go back to your question about interstate commerce and, and how different areas could open up separately. Um, Gunnison County has passed uh, a, an ordinance or a, a regulation that prohibits any non-resident, even ones who have property there from uh, being in Gunnison County and you can be arrested if you are. And, and so I wonder if on the one hand, do you see and does the state see that as a, a, an unconstitutional violation of privileges and immunities clause? Or on the other hand, is it a practical way for individual counties to keep people out that they might be concerned have the virus or would suck up 
healthcare services? Do you think it's a model for the state or for the country? Or do you think it's an anomaly that'll be overturned? Well, it's similar to Bill's you know, question earlier. Um, no, I don't think local jurisdictions have this authority. And obviously states don't have the authority to regulate interstate commerce. But as a matter of facts on the ground, while I'm sure those people will probably never be charged with anything, they'll probably just be arrested and released after they're held for a few hours, that does discourage people from going to Gunnison County, of course, because if they think they might be arrested, even though there's no legal basis and they're not going to be charged, uh, it probably does cut down on the number of people that visit there. But this, that, we, we have to deal with this in the broader sense, um, statewide, countrywide, internationally, of course, too, because international trade and commerce are also so important. So these these one-up things are interesting. They You can watch them and write about them, but the real, we have to think big, not think small in terms of how the world moves past this. Got it. Um, we had Jim Frank and Taiga Mira's hand up. Um, do either of you want to ask a question? Yeah, Jim Frank, I, I, I have a second question one before. Uh, question is about opening schools. Uh, one of the points that was made by uh, Governor Cuomo, and I thought it was a good one, was it's very hard to send people back to work if you haven't opened the schools because of the daycare problem with their kids. Um, how do you think about the sequencing of school openings with the business openings? Uh, ours are um, for parts of the state. They're the same day, but we do we do have um, local districts that have canceled their school for the rest of the year. So there's about a three week period. Our, our schools in Colorado on a pretty early schedule, so they end uh, you know May 20th, May 25th, usually around there. Depends on the district. Um, so if we have the workforce go back, uh, or at least a big part of it, April 26th, which is our goal. May 1st in that time frame. Some school districts will also be starting on May 1st, um, but that will probably only be about 10% of the students in the state. So for that other 90%, there is very much that concern about workplace availability, childcare. Uh, the, the students are learning, by the way, on their, their, their online education. So I mean, if they're high schoolers, they're literally probably at home doing school, but you're not gonna leave a seven-year-old at, at home doing school. You may leave a middle schooler at home doing school, depends on how responsible you think they are, but they are doing school, to be clear, and that's what their time is doing. Our kids are, we have eight and five, they're in school. We wouldn't leave them alone at home, but they're doing school. So yes, there's about a three-week gap, and then parents had whatever contingencies for summer they had anyway, uh, and some of those are, will be challenging, right? Because some of the contingencies for summer uh, for example, oh, they have a camp from June 1st to June 14th are canceled as well. So that will be an added challenge for people uh, as well. So yeah, the workforce availability will be an issue for families. We're sensitive to that. Um, the schools will be back in part, but not in full. And many of the big, and, and, and appropriately so, by the way, many of the big districts like Denver, uh, more of a hotspot, they have canceled for the school year. So they are not coming back. Again, it's appropriate. That's a good decision. But that doesn't mean that smaller districts with zero COVID cases can't come back. They're going to they're come back just fine. Yeah, Trig, Trig Barron uh, calling, uh, Governor. Um, I'm a Denverite. Uh, and I, I just want to thank you very much for what you have done for the state, not not just on this overriding issue, but but generally. So uh, I have a very small question, which is if people are out of state, if residents are out of state and they come back 
what are your thoughts on on um, personal quarantining? Well, look, it, it probably depends on where they're coming from. We, we have community spread here in Colorado, and right now we're all quarantining. So are, are you talking about a situation after we end the mass quarantine and what people would do from, from other places? I'm, I'm talking about, about both. The mass quarantine, I think, is over on the 26th. And, right. and then and then later, what, what would be the situation in either? Yeah. So um, we, you know, it's it's a it's a good, for, you know, it, it's a good problem set to identify, given that we don't control our borders, uh, what the advice would be to travelers. And it could very well depend on where where they're coming from. If they're coming from a hot spot, there could be a a recommended quarantine. I, I'd have to look into whether there's any legal authority there. That's an interesting question. I, I don't think we can do that as a state. For international travelers, of course, the federal government can order that, uh, and many have, many, many right. national governments. Um, as an enforcement matter, we have no ability to monitor or police it. People can drive in from Texas and Nebraska any anytime they want, and there's, you know, there's no uh, checkpoints on the border. And even if you shut down the highway, there's a million surface roads and, and, and minor roads that are you can get between different cities. But that's interesting. Uh, we'll, we'll need to work on the guidance for that as well uh, as part of the reopening. Well, it just struck me as, as I looked at a map, I think it was in the Wall Street Journal today uh, on Colorado sitting there with a whole bunch of states surrounding it, which which have taken a different approach than Colorado has to, as to closing down things. Yeah, and that's that's why a national response is is would be welcomed. Um, you have states like Iowa, one of our bordering states, who is probably ninety percent of where we are, but they're not calling it that. Then you have other states that are even less far along that are likely to have a higher incidence of the virus right around the time we reopen. So, is that a concern? Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, do I have a lot of tools to do something about it? Not that I'm aware of. Um, it's really why we need a more of a coordinated national response. Okay. okay. Thank, okay. thank you. Thank you, Governor. With that, uh, let me just say thank you for your time and for bringing what is obviously a no-labels problem-solving perspective to governing. Uh, you leave us very confident. Well, thank you. Uh, you know, it's a tough time for everybody, and as leaders of, of, of business in the private sector, uh, it's going to be important for you to help lead the way uh, as well in having a having a structured and 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 coordinated opening reopening that makes sense. Because let's talk about what the, the bad scenario is here. If we reopen in a bad, poor way or too soon or anything like that, what you'll have to do is likely to great economic devastation and, and great loss of life, uh, a different lockdown and shutdown at a later point in time. That would be a failure here, right? People do it poorly, not coordinated, some too early, some never closed. And then here you are in June, the bodies are piling up and you need a drastic lockdown and greater economic disruption. Success means we're doing it a way where yes, tragically the virus is still with us, people are still dying, but the numbers are not ballooning, we're controlling it, there's targeted interventions, uh, much of the country is in a similar place, doesn't have to be exactly the same place, but you're not having contagion from one hot spot out to others. So a controlled, coordinated way we're managing to live with this. Uh, and, and the final thing I wanna close on, I say this a lot here in our state, is the enemy is not economic productivity. Economic productivity is our friend. We wanna maximize economic productivity, minimize physical proximity. So maximum economic productivity, minimal proximity. 
and apply that lens to all of our businesses and how we do things. The more we can do, the more we can work, the more we can create, and the further we can be from other people while we're doing it, the better we will all be uh, and the quicker we'll recover from this crisis. Thank you. You know, that combination of both the short-term and the long-term is the essence of no labels. So I thank you for not only the job you're doing, but for sharing the, the philosophical underpinnings of everything we hope for from our government. Colorado has emergency command centers in place that have been prepared to battle floods and fires. And Governor Polis discusses how these have been refocused on fighting COVID-19. But he is frustrated by what he says is the lack of transparency from the federal government and the lack of direction from the administration on the reopening of interstate travel and commerce. As he explains, the balance we need to strike in reopening the country is to try to achieve maximum productivity while maintaining minimum proximity. Go to nolabels.org to learn more about how we are bringing together a bipartisan group of public and private leaders working to stop the virus, save lives, and get Americans back to work. I'm Ryan Clancy, and this has been an episode of Gridlock Break, a No Labels podcast.